Hey, welcome to CC Talk Talk, a podcast where we see and talk about all kinds of stories, games, books, songs, but mostly movies. Remember reviews? That thing that's more common than the flu? Yeah, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're keeping it simple with movie flashbacks. It could be an intro, a dialogue, just one scene, or even a side character. It doesn't really matter. Because the stories that we love are the ones that will forever stay with us. So, in this episode, we're trying something different. Uh, instead of doing movie reviews, we are instead going to talk about movies that have stuck to us. You know, the ones that stayed in our memory. For so many reasons, you might hate the movie, but you just might like what the guy was wearing. Or what the girl said. You know, it could be just one small thing in the movie that you like, and it doesn't really matter. I'm going to start first, and this is mine. So yeah, that was Wong Fei Hung's intro, where the camera pans over the beach and all of them are practicing their kung fu. And my God, I love it. I watched it as a child, and it is so strong, so ingrained in my childhood memories. Even until today, when I just hear that song, I can't help but remember that whole sequence of them fighting kung fu on the beach with that crazy epic soundtrack. And even recently, when it was on Astro on TV, just watching it a bit, I just couldn't help myself but sit down and watch it. It might be cheesy, it might be really old, but man, just watching Jet Li with that half bald hairstyle, <laughs> half bald ponytail, <laughs> I absolutely love it. I really love the Wong Fei Ho intro. I think it's easily up there with any intro that I've ever watched or experienced. I, I can see the power in that, the Wong Fei Hong intro. Yeah. I, I, I saw all three movies and I can say that it does have a very massive appeal. Yeah. That opening sequence, it just hooks you right in. I think for an Asian person, that intro <laughs> song is probably as iconic as like Darth Vader's Walk in March. Basically, movie intros which left a lasting, a long impression on me. It was Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Uh, it's a very simple intro. It's, it's just basically a guy stepping into frame, and the camera follows the back of his head for mm, a good three minutes. That shot, you know, yeah. with the credits rolling. But it just says so much about the character. Like suddenly, he this this large man just steps into frame. He's walking. Something annoys him, and he just shrugs his shoulders and he keeps on walking. Yeah. And here I'm left thinking. Who is this man? Who is this man who's cooler than cool and just walking on the face of this planet, you know? He's larger than life. He's literally blocking the sun. Just going wherever he needs to go because he needs to do his business. Like, right away, it's an interesting character. Because, you know, the story of Yojimbo is basically a samurai who's a drifter. He comes across this poor village that's being overrun by two crime gangs. Mm. So he sees this and he... He takes this opportunity to play 
each gang off one another so that they'll leave the townsfolk alone. And it's crazy, right? <laughs> that Akira's Kurosawa's movie came out in the 60s. 1961. Right? Yeah. And way back then, he thought of like, hey, let's open a movie with the back of a guy's head. Yeah. I mean, way back then, I think filming was quite traditional. Mm. When you have a main character, especially if it's a star name, mm. for sure you want to plaster his face up right. there. Like, whoa, yeah, that's the actor that I came to support. But the thing was, the actor who played the samurai, Toshiro Mifune, yeah. at the time, he was one of Japan's biggest stars. Yeah, and yeah. to start the movie with, just with the back, the of, back his of his head. <laughs> the, the balls and the, the swagger to do it. Already, you, you're feeling Same. intrigued. Who is, again, you, yeah. again, you're watching like, who's this dude? You know, yeah. taking over the screen, literally. You know? And I can imagine the crowd reaction when, you know, like, how long was it? Three minutes? Yeah, about yeah. three minutes. Three minutes of him walking, and when he turns and his face points to the screen, yeah. I'm pretty sure the crowd would have, like, yeah, they just went felt nuts. something there. La. But, but what you said about Kurosawa, he, he's... Although he's a Japanese filmmaker, he's influenced by American filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. So you can tell that he's adapting some of the traditional American Western styles yeah. into his samurai film. That's that's why it was very easy to follow. And that movie, Yojibo, it was remade twice. Once Fistful mm. of Dollars with Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I remember. And two, yeah. uh, Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. Mm. Exactly the same movies, all three of them. The intro is the same? <laughs> almost, almost the same. Uh, this still has the best intro among all. As much as I love Clint Eastwood, yeah. Yojimbo still has the best intro among all the movies. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that left a big impression on me. Like, wow, this super cool dude just wow, just taking over everything. <laughs> from before sunrise where Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke they already met on the train they shared many words with each other they were already in the midst of falling in love and they both stepped into a recording store and when they stepped in there they picked up a record and they went into a listening booth it's really cramped I think you can fit maybe three people in there so the two of them squeeze in it and the music plays both of them stop talking and they just exchange glances but every time when one of them look at the other they look away and it's just beautiful it's like a small little dance where like i'm looking at you you're looking at me but not really it's really cute but that was one of the first few times where i've watched love being portrayed like that in the movie i mean looking at someone you like and then turning away just before they look at you i think that's something that everyone does especially in real life uh, when you are young and stupid and still falling in love right <laughs> it's love at first sight yeah. at that age la. so to see it on screen and so well done the whole movie has just caught you up with like an endless conversation and then suddenly both of them stop talking and it's just about the looks that they share and oh my god ethan hawk and julie Duffy's acting brilliant you really truly believe that they are in love and i still find it amazing how that they both did not get in a relationship after <laughs> acting like that you know how so many actors did three movies yeah and as they grow old mm. every time when i hear the song i just can't help but feel a little whimsical a little happy inside butterflies flowing so cute if you haven't watched it that little scene you can just youtube it because it won't spoil anything but just that i think half a minute sequence 
you can really capture the essence of how blind their love is for each other for that little short moment. That's actually really sweet, I would say. It's not often you get like romance movie that is very subtle. Yeah. That's what's depicted in the Before Trilogy. I think Link later really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. In terms of how you know, he handles romance without beating you over the head. You know, <laughs> overly romantic stuff like yeah. what you would see in a Richard Curtis movie. <laughs> I think I'm going to talk about that movie as we go along next time. Sure, sure. sure. I love that show. In length. And I need to rewatch that trilogy. Yeah. But again, I need, probably wouldn't wait as long as the others for it. scene was from the Blair Witch Project. Oh man. Oh. Yeah. I, know, I, know, I know you have your issues with that, with that movie, but I personally think it's an excellent horror film. Uh, when I went oh, like that, I actually did it out of fear. fear. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. I know some people would have that uh, have issues with it because it's like a found footage horror movie. You know, it's a toxic word that cannot be said here. Well, uh, for what it did, it did well. Really. It, it was one of the first yes. that did it, you know. Yeah. Because that's why it did exceptionally well, yes. you know, after this and then, you know, Paranormal Activity, the first one. First one was great. Yeah, it was excellent horror was films. Great. You know, then it was Hollywood saw formula. Yeah. Right? Let, let's rip everything off because we can make it on the cheap and we can make about ten times back in opening weekend. Back to my scene, sorry, I digress. So that scene when they're in the tent and they just hear little twigs breaking. Outside oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. That was one of the very few times the hairs at the end of my at the end of my skin just stood up. Because it's so real. It felt so real. real. It was, you know, Blair Witch Project. I I knew the movie was phony, like, you know. People thought back then, oh, this movie really existed, you know. Like there's no way in hell they would show a snuff film. Yeah. I mean so but but yeah, the effect is there. The effect of hearing something that's there. Opening your tent and seeing absolutely nothing, you know, just pitch black mm-hmm. around you everywhere. But you, but you don't hear like a very frightening thud yeah. or a very frightening, you know, growl. Not a typical somewhere. Hollywood. Yeah, horror a, sound yeah, because you would like expect that. like a growl yeah. or you know, shiny eyes yeah. in the or distance. Like boom, scary, yeah, like a jump nothing scare, like you know, like yeah. conjuring, you know, very nothing, like nothing. You just hear twigs snapping in the distance, very faint, yeah. and then you open and there's nothing. It's very real. Infinitely. Far more scarier than any modern horror film. Yeah. You know, those few moments. That's what makes the Blair Witch Project very effective. You know, these three kids, yeah. they go in the woods, they want to make their horror documentary, yeah. and they get lost, and things get weirder and weirder. And I I love the sound mixing in this. It's like, it's just in the distance. It's ASMR, man. Yeah, ASMR. It's, it's ASMR exactly. horror. <laughs> really, when I watched the movie, I remember I was like, oh, the recording, the sound recording for this movie is really great. It's Every creepy. small twig, like you said. Yeah, Every not, small scratch. It's, sorry if I'm not it's not just that. that. There's sounds of children howling, laughing, and mm, laughing very yes, scarily, yes. but it's not like, you know, surrounding you yeah, with yeah. laughter. It's just, it's okay, a distance. distance yeah. Yeah. You can feel that distance. Which is way more effective yeah. than what, you know, modern Hollywood is going to think of. I think that's one very interesting point there. A lot of people, when they watch a movie, especially with horror, they want to be wild. Yes. You know, that big boom, that big jump scare. Mm. But here comes Blavish Project, where their kind of horror is more 
real subtle. life horror. It's very sudden. When I watched Babbage Project, I found myself relating to it like, wow, if this is happening to me in real life, I'll be freaked out. So when I watched yeah. the movie, I wasn't watching a movie. I felt like I wasn't watching a movie, mm. but I constantly felt that if this happened to me in real life, I'm going to like just piss in my pants. Well, <laughs> well, the people playing the kids suddenly felt like it was real life. Oh I mean, they had to pretend it was a documentary. Yeah. So in a way, it did It did happen to them, you know? All I can say is, wow, that really, one That's of the few movies that actually scared me. Yeah. Like, truly gets under your skin. And that doesn't happen often. I mean, I like horror movies. I appreciate yeah. them, but very few can actually scare me yeah. this is one of the taps your soul really yeah, yeah tap chills the soul yeah. honestly and like you said it came out it was one of the first movies to do it so in essence of being the first of its kind mm. when you step into the hall you had no idea what to expect yeah and that just adds more exactly because people were thinking you know what is this player which project i've yeah. never heard of it the movie was made with peanuts it was what the overall budget was sixty thousand us dollars it helps that back then they didn't have to put a disclaimer that this is not real yeah, yeah. they actually they actually put a fake disclaimer saying it's real i mean you can't do that nowadays nowadays i'm pretty sure you have to say you'll probably get sued yeah. if you do that but no this one is like they, they just marketed it as you know in 1994 yeah in 1994 yeah. three kids went into the forest to do something blah 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 and then it just stops happening a year later that yeah. footage is formed that's it that's all you the word of mouth hmm. was insane in that movie yeah. I remember when I was young there was no internet back then when yeah. this movie came out but the word of mouth spread it made 250 million yeah. USD worldwide out of what 60k budget that is insane you know it just shows the power of cinema even if you have a, you know buckets and boats <laughs> budget I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch it in cinema, you should for the sound. Oh, yes. But I think this is one movie where if you watch it on your laptop, let's say if you're like a student, right? You're watching it at 12 midnight in your little room, oh. and I think it's still going to freak you out. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it's a doc- It's filmed in the fashion the camp of documentary. Style. Yeah, camcorder. Yeah. So, yes, it does have that effect. It's so like you're watching a YouTube video. Right, right. Yeah, right? Something like that. Like Something can be. Mm. Oh, that's great. Mm. Amazing film. Watch it if you can. Ravage Project in time for Halloween. That's how you do found footage movies, okay? Don't watch The Devil Inside. Question. So, okay, for found footage movies, do you think that there's still a chance for that kind of movies now that we've been exposed to it and it's been tainted by Hollywood? Do you think that a studio or whatever, a director, can capture that found footage again? Can. I, I still believe the genre still has some life in it. It's just, you know, people keep making the same thing yeah. over and over. You see, like, even sometimes big budget Hollywood movies, they yeah. will do a different spin on the found footage genre. So, oh, searching. Yeah, searching, searching is one. Really searching is actually pretty yeah. darn good. Yeah. I was surprised at how effective it yeah. was. But I was actually referring to Cloverfield, first one. Like, it felt like a disaster movie and a monster movie, but it's found footage. And there are some scenes, because that movie came out 2008, some scenes really were eerie because of the whole mm. September 11th thing. I remember when they entered the subways mm. or the drainage system, mm-hmm. and because their camera had like very little light, mm-hmm. they really captured, like they portrayed exactly how a real life camcorder would work in the tunnel. Mm. Pretty weird. Yeah, pretty good. But also the, like I said earlier, you know, the scenes of destruction mm. and the military attacking the, the monster. Doesn't that remind you of the 9-11 attacks? It was on purpose. Yeah, it was, on, it was delib- deliberately yeah. on purpose. It like, wow, this is this is harrowing to watch. Mm. You know, even mm. it's a monster movie. So yeah, you know, they, they experimented around with the genre. You know, hey, it's not just for horror. 
then of course you know have paranormal activity the first one oh. which is another another beast altogether oh, that, one. <laughs> that, that was one that is the movie where I went back home and I slept with my lights on <laughs> I'm not I'm yeah, not even exaggerating same, same, same. I took a shower after that movie and I could not close my eyes even though I had shampoo going into them I, <laughs> I could not do that movie I remember that was really I dri- even driving in the car Looking back in my review mirror, I couldn't man. Mm. That movie was nuts. Yeah, it was definitely oh, it's out there. Like definitely nearly on the same level as Larry Blavich project as far as found footage goes. But mm. right after that, paranormal activity, that's when you start to see the saturation. Yeah. That's when you see yeah. things go downhill. So. But again, yeah, I still think there's life in it. It's just, you know, I'm we're hoping some filmmakers would do a different spin on it yeah. and do it well not just do a concept that's what Jordan Peele like, yeah, I too. hope so too yeah. or maybe I yeah. think Ari Aster might be a good one because he oh, likes, I would love to see that yeah. because his movies yeah. I can picture them being like found footage style to it you know entering a car with a camera family reunion on. gone wrong yeah with a camera it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be fire man. <laughs> Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost you got the touch You got the Transformers animated movie. Freaking love it. I can sing the song anytime. <laughs> Not the Michael Bay one, okay. Just in case you didn't know, that was an animated Transformers movie. And that one was great. Uh, yeah. Spoil okay, there's spoilers there. I can't say it. Something bad happens, but and a lot of people were not happy with it. But it was a ninja reaction that over time people just actually it was fine. And when you look back, that soundtrack man, that You've got a touch, and then the guitar solo starts. <laughs> it gets me every time, and whenever I hear it or I see someone post about it online, I can't help but just all caps. You got a touch. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm about to spoil the memory for you a bit. You know, Mark Wahlberg performed that song once. I can't remember that. I love not, it. Not for Transformers, <laughs> but not for Transformers, but for another movie, Boogie Nights. But he sang it very badly. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't taint it. It's just, it's just too awesome to ever be tainted. That song. Freaking love it. Well, there's two soundtracks from me today. First, it was from Fei Hong, then now Transformers. You got to touch. <laughs> so good. Dude. Then the guitar solo, and you just oh, have yeah, to hit bang with it. Yeah. <laughs> ja, ja, That's da, like 80s yeah. glam rock at its best, man. It's it's peak, yeah, it's, it's peak. peak. <laughs> and if you watch the show, that moment, ah, oh, man, I can't spoil it, but that climactic moment where that song kicks in, <laughs> just great. I know, I know what you're oh, talking about. And the animation was great. The the big bad. About really to destroy big. all of them, and that moment happened with that guitar song. Yeah. My God, that was the moment of my childhood, I think. And he, he he really meant it when he said "big bad." By the way, <laughs> big bad, really. <laughs> Please go watch it. If you if you say you're a Transformers fan, or if you have not watched a Transformers animated movie, watch it. Oh my God, when you watch it, then you will question. Why couldn't Michael Bay just copy it? Just copy you it. You tried it for the first it. movie. No. <laughs> okay, just no. He I, did not. The keyword is try. No, the he key- didn't even try to try. Okay. 
No. <laughs> he didn't try for the sequels, lah. I'll give him that. But the, the first one, yeah, lah, got some attempt there. Yeah. Just copy the animation movie. <laughs> just copy it. I wouldn't even mind. Just copy it with humans and CGI. Whatever. I'm more than happy with it. Yeah. Oh, the trilogy so, of it, man. Yeah, but I think that was like the every kid's dream to see their favorite characters just come to life. Bond, James Bond. Exercise Control 007 here. I'll report in an hour. Alright, that was from the James Bond movie, The Living Daylights. The movie title is called The Living Daylights. Yeah, The Living Daylights. It's the 16th James Bond film. It's the first to star Timothy Dalton. Ah, that's so, why I don't know. So, so. <laughs> yeah, he's not a... I'm not a Bond yeah, I, I'm a Bond man. I, yeah. I've seen all the Bonds. Yeah. So, yeah, up until the, the latest one. Uh, well, if it ever gets to come out. So, yeah, I that was from The Living Daylights. That was how Timothy Dalton was introduced. And, like, this is a little bit of a Bond trivia for me. So, the opening scene is just three British agents going on a training exercise on the Rock of Yabacha. So, what they did here, is, because this was introducing a new Bond, they had all of the spies basically playing lookalikes of the previous actors who played Bond. So there's one guy who looks like Roger Moore, and then there's one guy who looks like George Lazenby, and then there's another guy who's like the bad guy in this particular scene who looks okay. like Sean Connery. Okay. <laughs> so the bad guy will be looking. So the Sean Connery lookalike will basically be killing off one of them. Yeah. One of them gets disqualified by paintball, but one of the agents who died, that Sean Connery lookalike cuts his rope off and he falls to the ground, and then you get this quick shot of Timothy Dalton just turning around and hearing, looking at the commotion, that is a great entrance. Because right before Timothy Dalton, you know Roger Moore, I mean, yeah. I'm not sure whether most people my age will know who Roger Moore is in, in terms of Bond, but his was the very silly, cartoonish kind of James Bond, not yeah. without his charms, but it's very light-hearted. So to see a new James Bond who is like a man of action, suddenly he just runs and jumps on top of a truck and you see that it's really Timothy Dalton hanging on the roof mm. of a truck as it goes downhill. It, it adds to the danger element and it basically tells the audience, hey, this is not your big brother's James Bond anymore. This is a new this is new territory. So we're nice. in for something a little bit more serious. So I was like, wow, this I, I'm flawed. Just by this entrance and he basically <laughs> that Jeep goes off a cliff. Bond parachutes himself out of a burning jeep just in time before the jeep explodes. See, <laughs> hearing you describe that scene makes me feel so much more excited than when I actually watch it. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not even joking about this. I, I, I mean this with all honesty. Dude. Listening to you just describe that scene made, made me feel more excited than actually Cause, watching cause, it. Because it's a great build-up to you know introducing the new Bond. It's because his shot is safe for last crucial moment. Yeah. Like... Oh, the bad guy cuts off one of the spies' ropes and then the guy just falls around. Boom, what's going on? It's Timothy Dalton. And it doesn't look fake or forced. You know, like other movies, they will try to force, hey, this is the new actor playing so-and-so character. No, it just, it's very natural. I, I love okay. it. I just love it. I think even though there are better Bond movies overall, yeah. I still think that intro. That, that intro is one of my personal favorites. That was the one, the ones that probably stand out to me the most. And Dalton is a very underrated one, probably the closest to Ian Fleming's original creation, and that includes Daniel Craig. 
Wow. Yeah. To, to explain to you how excited Dalton is when he's talking about that, you can hear him moving around his chair. Usually, <laughs> I will try to edit out those sounds, but for this specific case, I think it just adds to flavor because really, that was how excited he was talking about that scene. <laughs> I think it's quite fun to keep Bond, that in. Bond is one of the few franchises I'm actually passionate about, so yeah. <laughs> totally opposite with me. But, but no, fair game. It's not a fair game at the end of the day. We've always defined ourselves by the ability to overcome the impossible. And we count these moments. The first ever to fly faster than the speed of sound. These moments when we dared to aim higher, to break barriers, to reach for the stars. So that was Interstellar's teaser trailer, right? The trailer that came out before they released their so-called uh, review trailers, where you call that now. <laughs> but the great thing about the review trailer was that it revealed nothing. That movie was made out of montages of real-life NASA in their HQ and their space launch and all that and Matthew McConaughey just monologuing that whole thing and at the very end you get Matthew McConaughey parking his truck at the paddy field and then looking at the rocket fly up to the sky with an interstellar word revealing itself onto the screen that was the first time you will ever see or heard of interstellar before the marketing campaign started and to get that and then at the end of the trailer it says one year later from now was insane and I think for a modern day review slash trailer slash teaser these days that is probably the best in the internet age I've never seen anything reviewed that way since the mistake the intrigue was incomprehensible <laughs> I love it I until today I still can watch just that review trailer and it's like a movie on its own it's not even part of Interstellar because it doesn't reveal anything even Jessica Chastain doesn't appear in it, Anne Hathaway doesn't appear in it, no one appears in it, it's nothing. And that's the great part of it, I feel that if a trailer or a teaser can capture the essence of the movie, the idea or the backbone of the movie, without revealing any scene of it, that is what a trailer or a teaser should be. Whether it's for a book, you know at the back of the book there's a small excerpt, or whatever else, a song maybe, like the album cover, that shouldn't reveal what is inside but just give you an idea to make you want to have a taste of it and that interstellar teaser slash trailer is the perfect example of what i can imagine it to be What's the problem? What? With the car. What's the problem? Just get out of my fucking face. Who are you? We're still in the fucking car. What's it to you? It's my car. How are you going to die? That was a scene from Death Wish 3, which is an action movie. I've watch it. So it's, an 80s, cool. it's an 80s action movie starring Charles Bronson. And if you know the 80s action movie, Genre, you know that they are not well known for their subtlety. 
So that scene right there is just basically him going out to confront some thugs who are trying to steal his car. Yeah, what else doing that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so both of them were like, you know, they look at him and say, what's it to you? And he just looks at him and shrugs. That's my car. You know, that, I mean, the acting. <laughs> I, but it I, was the era. It was, sure. I mean, even for that era, I have no idea what the director was doing, but whatever it was, I think he was literally on something while he was directing the film because mm-hmm. that is not natural acting. I wouldn't even consider it bad acting. I would just consider it like w, <laughs> WTF acting and directing. So it's my car. And then the thug just looks at him, smiles, whips out a pen knife. Now you're going to die. You know? Sure. <laughs> and the best one, right after that, he did. Charles Bronson doesn't even pose. Just whips out his big gun and shoots both of them dead. And then he just puts his gun back, walks back in, finishes his chicken dinner. Swaf, dude. It's not even swaf. You know, in other action movies, right? He'll just take out his gun and he'll say like a quick one liner. Yeah. And then he shoots them. No, he just, just blasts them. Could, just could he right have back. forgotten his line? <laughs> Like he forgot that he had a line. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. He's not a he's not a man of words when it comes to action movies. Like Charles Bronson is not the kind of give one line. His action speaks. Yeah. I guess so. Like he just <laughs> literally He didn't even give time for them to react to the guy just, just flat out shoots them. Just walks back in casually like nothing. Even happens. the cameraman was surprised. <laughs> what happened to that scene? Like, that entire movie by the way, is nuts. N-U-T-S, nuts. I still am on the fence whether it is a, basically a brilliant over-the-top piece of action cinema or it's just plain trash. I think it's not N-U-T-S, it's N-U-T-Z. N-U-T-Z. <laughs> yeah, it's... Because, <laughs> that, because what I just described, what I just showed you, that's nothing compared to the end of the film. It's just all-out gang wars. Like, basically, the, it's the street hoodlums Versus the the normal people the on the normal streets. People. Yeah, like you know the uncles and aunties on the streets. They're just like antagonizing them for no reason. The best part is the uncles and aunties start fighting back, like pushing them off the roofs yeah. of buildings and whatnot. I'm like this movie has no chill. Has <laughs> absolutely no chill, and I love it. That it has zero tact. <laughs> it, it's probably my biggest guilty pleasure. But, oh my goodness and. The, the less said about the ending, the better because it's just it just went up to eleven, literally. It's more than eleven. It's like more than eleven. It's like eleven thousand. <laughs> it's like street war unleaded. Like I saw this comment on IMDb, which I'll remember for the rest of my life, calling this movie and I quote, "delightfully fascist," <laughs> because basically there's there's no gray line. It's just good guys killing the bad guys. And there's another scene uh, which I'm going to describe to you. I, I think I told you about this earlier. The barbed wire scene. Oh, yeah. All these gangsters on motorbikes. And the civilians basically pull barbed wire across the street. They fall down. The civilians just shoot them dead as they fall. Mm. And then later they dance around their corpses. Like men, women and children involved of all races and ages. And I'm like, yeah. what is this? <laughs> yeah, what, is that? what is this? This is insane. Involved, I think, the this is the point of the movie where I stop watching it as a film and I start watching it as the mental state of its creators. And I think that's the perfect way to end this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and this is something we're going to do for on. We're just going to have episodes where we just share about our you know movies that really stayed with us in our memories because. Mm-hmm. I think we don't want to do reviews. We've had so many reviews out there. Everyone's doing reviews, so you know 
certain things really stays with you as you go on mm-hmm. when you finish the movie. For better or for worse. Yeah, for better or for worse. Because <laughs> really sometimes even a, a bad movie can last with you and it turns out to be a good memory oh, to yeah. laugh at. Right? So yeah, that's the few that we wanted to share today. Again, if you have any feedback or you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and we're available on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. So yeah, thank you. And bye-bye.